Well, I got some good news, guys. Tomorrow is a very special day because Ladera Ranch celebrates the grand opening of Chick-fil-A. Yeah! <laughs> about time. Now, I don't know about you, but I love me some Chick-fil-A. I, I could eat there every day and probably be totally happy. And one of the reasons why I love Chick-fil-A is because, A, they play Christian music without the words. So in your mind, you know what they're saying, but they're not saying it out loud, which I can enjoy that. But second, I love that when I talk to them, I'm always like, hey, can I get a thing? And they're like, yeah, you can have that. And I said, thank you. And then they say, my pleasure. And most of the time, I believe them. Most of the time, it's like, oh, yeah, I, th I think you mean what you're saying. But really, the, the, the restaurant is immaculate. You go in there, the, 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 the floors are swept, it's neat, it's clean, the tables are, are like spick and span. The people walk around, and this is like unlike any other fast food joint. They ask you, like, do you want a refill on your, your sweet tea? Or they come by, and they check in on you and see how you're doing. Sometimes, uh, several occasions, actually, they'll come in and say, hey, what's going on? How are you guys doing today? Is there anything I can help you with? And, I mean, it's super, uh, a super excellent culture and workplace, which is uh, really phenomenal. That's something that I really do appreciate about Chick-fil-A. But interestingly enough, uh, the, the, the prediction is that as the years progress, AI is going to steal your jobs. Uh, you might notice if you walk into an In-N-Out, not In-N-Out, excuse me, a, a McDonald's, they have large displays. They're basically giant tablets where you can order the food and have it faster and most of the time more accurately, and therefore you're no longer needed. AI is the future. In fact, some, some predictions are saying that AI will destroy more jobs than it creates over the next decade. It's a question in the article title, but they suggest that's a strong plausibility given the fact that AI continues to progress and get even more accurate and better and better at predicting what we want and what we need. AI is making great progress in terms of human development, but it's also threatening a lot of low-level jobs and occupations that you guys in high school would probably get. What's the answer then? Well, one of the things that an author suggests to, to really make yourself invaluable, no matter what kind of AI gets introduced in the future, is to learn how to do deep work, to, uh, to actually work in ways that a machine can't easily replicate. And so uh, the, the author that popularized this concept, uh, not in this article here, Jeanette Rohr summarizes it, but she says, think deeply to keep your job in the artificial intelligence future. Well, she's summarizing the work of a guy by the name of Cal Newport. He writes this book about how to really make yourself stand out in the work culture of 2021 and beyond. He goes on to say, one of the best things that you can do uh, to prepare yourself to be a, a successful employee no matter where you go is to learn how to think deeply and to work effectively. In fact, some of the chapter titles that are most helpful here, he says, deep work is valuable. In other words, learning to think deeply and, prof uh, and com with complexity about a certain subject, learning how to solve problems with creativity, is something a computer can't easily mimic. He says, if you're going to be uh, ready for the new economy, you have to have the ability to quickly master hard things. If you can't do that, if you struggle learning hard things and mastering them to apply them to your job, he says, you're not going to do well. He also says, if you're going to thrive in the new economy, you also have to have the ability to produce at an elite level. 
in terms of both quality and speed. Again, something not easily replicated by a machine or anything built in with AI. He says, if you're going to succeed in the new economy, you have to learn to work and to work hard and to work well. He says, deep work is also rare and meaningful. If you're going to survive in the new economy, if you're going to survive in the future that awaits you, you have to learn to work intelligently, far beyond the capabilities of a computer. But in today's day and age, one of the things that's challenging you in particular is uh, the fact that we are built in a culture of ease and laziness. Think about this. I don't know how many people you passed by as you guys drove to, 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 to work, not work, school or church tonight. You guys saw people on electric scooters, right? You saw people with electric bikes. You might have even seen some people on those, I don't know what they're called, with the big wheel in the middle that you stand on, you kind of balance it. And... Not the Segway, it has the wheel in the middle. Whatever, you know what I'm Those things. If you're hungry, you could pop in a hot pocket in the microwave for a minute, 30 seconds, and boom, you could burn yourself with a hot pocket just that quickly. If you want to get something delivered to you, Amazon can, can go get the thing for you and have it at your house within two hours. If you want groceries, you don't have to go to the store. You could just put it in on the app. Someone goes and does a shopping for you, drops it off without ever looking you in the face, and boom, your life is neat and easy. The world around you is shaped in such a way where uh, it's consumer-oriented. It's meant for you to consume things, not to necessarily give things. And therefore, it's going to be really hard for you to develop this mentality of cultivating a deep work life, and more importantly, a productive life that honors and pleases God. One of the challenges for you, in addition to living in a culture that promotes and encourages a kind of life of ease, is that uh, working in this way is very contrary to much of the cultural standards. Finish this phrase for me. Thank God it's Friday. Why is no one saying, thank God it's Monday? I love Monday. Why is no one saying that? Well, because no one's, no one's looking at work and saying, this is so good. I love work. Can't wait to get in the office and just type away my expense reports, submit my TPS summaries. No one's doing that. No one's saying, I can't wait to go home and do my chemistry homework. What an exciting thing for me to do. I can't wait to go home and fill out college applications so I can go to the college that I'm on. Like, no one's really thinking that way. In fact, our culture largely avoids deep work, avoids hard work, because we're conditioned by everything around us to pursue ease, to pursue comfort. And that's the opposite of what God wants for you. Not to say that you shouldn't do things that are hard uh, or, or that you shouldn't enjoy the things that are easy. I use Amazon Prime. I use all those things that I just mentioned, but... We have to remember, as Christians, God has designed us for a certain task. God has designed us in such a way where he actually made us to work, um, to, do, to do hard things. He made us to flourish and to succeed in these things. But laziness literally can destroy your life. It can ruin your life because it steals from you, from your life, both your present and your future. What's more important, when you allow laziness to tempt tempt you to not do anything, it dishonors God and denies your ultimate purpose, which is to contribute to human flourishing through your works of service. And this is the way that we glorify God. You see, rest, which is different than, than work, or rather different than laziness, is productive. But laziness is something that steals resources and steals from you. So if we're going to do this right, we have to understand how God designed us to operate. I want you to think about the term, think, think about the word laziness, okay? Think about the word, and try to take it out of the Christian context for just a second. Close your eyes and think about the term laziness. What comes to mind? Now, I just did a quick Google search on this, and so a few things came up, okay? Laziness. 
this gal was just chilling in bed. I, get, I don't know if it's a guy or a gal, actually. Chilling in bed with their dog. It was like serene. It's like, oh, it's a lazy Sunday. You know, I, I don't know what's happening, but lazy Sunday. Laziness also came up with this one. This, I'm pretty sure this is a girl. This girl is drinking coffee in bed, reading, I don't know if that's a Bible, something. But she's just chilling out, laziness. Like, oh, that sounds so relaxing and so delightful. I just want to be lazy and just enjoy myself and lay in my really pretty bed and drink coffee. Laziness also brought up a very interesting result in my Googling. Is anybody surprised? Anybody surprised? This is how, <laughs> this is how you know laziness is bad brought up a cat. Okay, so laziness in most people's minds is kind of a synonymous term with restfulness. And I want to help you understand the difference at the very front, of the, front end of this. So let's start with this. Number one, we're going to understand the difference. Let's know what the difference is. Because I know for a lot of you, you might struggle with the concept. Because sometimes I get narked. You, you, you guys get upset at me for, for talking about streaming or playing games or doing all these things. When it seems like, oh, well, Pastor Rod, you know, you talk about the stuff that you watch. You watch that 600-pound show with the people. And like, that, is that really the most productive thing you could do? Okay, granted, I'm not saying that those things are necessarily in and of themselves bad. Uh, but I do want to make a distinction in your mind between what is restful and what is laziness. So I'm going to give you a couple things to work with. But first, let's open up Scripture and see how God uh, orients us to this concept. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15. And, and we're going to look at this in order to begin the conversation about how do we understand the difference between rest and laziness. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15. I'm going to put it on the screen for you, but also really good for you to go there in your Bible just to keep uh, an eye on the context at the very least. Genesis 2, verse 15. Um, the Lord God took the man, which is Adam, this is the first one created, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do two things. And I highlighted it for you because we're going to keep coming back to this all night long. He did it to do two things. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so he puts him there to work, to labor, and to keep, maintain. So labor and maintenance. Uh, Adam is the, uh, the, the one who's to oversee the well-functioning and the grooming of the garden. That's his job. Now, Genesis chapter 2 is, is before Genesis 3. Okay, slow down here, right? We're going really fast. Genesis 3 is where sin enters the picture. But Genesis 2 is where we have God's idyllic situation here. This is the garden in perfection. This is the way God intended it to be. Now, I also want to reverse a little bit, and I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. I want to show you uh, how God orients Adam to this, because this is, you know, chapter 2 is kind of a, a re-summarization of what happens in chapter 1. It's a longer form version, but it's important for you to see it. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Go with me there and follow along. God said, hey, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them have dominion. So God is already in his mind planning that Adam would exercise a kind of rulership or authority over the creation. So God, uh, so God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God designs man and woman not only to make offspring, to have kids, but also to work, to have dominion over creation. He continues in verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, hey guys, go have a lot of babies 
and fill the earth and subdue it. Take control over the creation and have dominion. There it is. Exercise authority over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's telling them, look, guys, go, uh, go start Chick-fil-A's. Make some of them cows uh, or some of them chickens into sandwiches and eat them. Uh, not yet, but he's gonna, eventually that's where he's going. Verse 29, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. This is before the fall. After the fall, we have meat. Verse 30, And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God designs man to work the ground. God designs man to, to be laborers, to labor and maintain the Garden of Eden. So with that said, I want to start from the place of uh, let's understand the difference between work and rest, starting with rest and laziness, starting with rest. Let me give you a definition that I, I worked on, okay? It's not the perfect definition, but it's something we could start with. Here's what I got. Rest is a godly expression of dependency upon God's provision by ceasing regular activities for restorative activities. See what I did there with the rest? Highlighted it for you? Okay. God, the expression of dependency upon God's provision by ceasing irregular activities for restorative activities. Restorative activities like, like worship, like prayer, reading your Bible. Okay, rest, you have, to, you have to first of all start with this. Rest is something God gives you as a, a, a tool to make you productive for work. Okay, so uh, it's, it's ceasing the regular activities of your day-to-day experience in order to be restored so that you might better work. In fact, pop quiz. Let's, let, me, let me take you back for a second to Genesis 1 and 2. On what day was man, and by man, I mean man and woman, on what day was man and woman created? Day six. Day six. Great, okay. When did God say, this day is set aside as a Sabbath? On what day was that? Day seven. Not day eight, day seven. Day six, God creates Adam and Eve. I would imagine that he doesn't create them and say, okay, now, boom, get to work. I'm guessing day six was God saying, look at all the stuff that I made for you. This is, a, you, know, this is for you to eat. Um, those chickens over there are for you to pluck and to eventually eat and make a sandwich out of. You know, here's the water that I made. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing day six, God is showing them all of his beauty and saying, look at all that I made for you. This is for you to enjoy. By the way, have some kids. Go do some things together as husband and wife. And this is for you. And then day seven is, hey, God, I'm, God says, I'm setting aside day seven as a day for rest. I want you to cease activities. So in a real way, and I'm, I'm, this is slight speculation, but I think I've got some good warrant for this. God starts Adam and Eve in rest. Like they didn't get made, and God's like, all right, crack the whip, get to it. He starts them off by giving them rest. He starts them off by saying, look, I want you to recognize that you are dependent upon me. I'm going to provide for you. This is all for you, you know, like Willy Wonka at the chocolate factory thing. Like, this is all for you. I, I, I gave this to you. And then he says, from this place of rest, now I'm going to give you responsibility. There's something important there for us. God shows them that he is going to provide for them. And every time you rest, you are depending on God to provide for you. Okay, honest question. Do some of you feel like you have so much schoolwork that you need to do it every single day of the week? I guess so, right? Do some of you feel like you have so much work work that you have to do it every single day of the week? Probably yes. Um, I'm a pastor, and so I get, it. I get that. I work too. <laughs> I, do, I do work as well. And it feels like every day of the week there's something to do. And if I allow myself, 
I can fill every single hour of my day with, with work that I know needs to get done. But here's what I also know. God calls us to rest and to trust that he will provide for us even when we say, I, I, I gotta stop. I gotta f- stop this in order to do something else. You need to understand that God wants you to rest. Rest is a good and godly thing. Working and never stopping is an act of faithlessness because God says, I've set aside this day for you to rest and I've made this day for you so that you can be recharged and energized so that you can work even better. It's an act of faith. It's an act of dependency upon God. You might remember when God led uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness in Exodus 16, he provided manna for them. He made manna show up on the ground. And then in, in, in Mark chapter 14 and 15, Mark 6, excuse me, Matt 14 and 15, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6, Jesus provides bread for the people. There's a parallel there. Uh, he, he's saying, just as the Father prepared bread in the wilderness, now I, Jesus, I'm coming on the scene and I'm giving you bread in the wilderness, as it were, and I'm showing you that I can take care of you. In fact, here's what Jesus says. He says, look, um, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, uh, the bread of God, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, if you don't catch it, Jesus is essentially saying, look, the bread pointed to me, the bread of life. I am the true bread. The bread in the wilderness that God gave to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 16 was pointing to the true and lasting bread. In verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And so Jesus is orienting them to say, look, your rest is connected to my provision. If you want to truly rest in me, you have to know that I'm going to provide for you. Some of you guys are so anxious and toilsome that you're forgetting that God is your ultimate provider. You work really hard and you slave labor yourself because you think that in all of your working, hey, I'm going to get into that college. I'm going to get the job that I want. I'm going to make sure everyone's happy with me. No, God calls you to slow down and to rest. And rest is good. Rest is not laziness. Rest is good. Jesus ultimately points you to himself. If you want rest, he says, come to me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the sustenance you need. And every time you rest, you are acknowledging that Jesus is the one that you ultimately need, not the homework, not the whatever, the whatever job you have, whatever it is that you're thinking about doing. And I don't want to, I don't want to, send you in the wrong direction here. I want you to recognize rest is good. Jesus is your rest. Your fathers ate, uh, ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. First thing to recognize about rest is that it points you to Jesus. Everything, scripturally speaking, everything in the Bible, uh, if it's a good and godly thing, is going to point you somehow to Jesus. Rest is what you need physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. You need rest, and that rest ultimately points you to Jesus. If you're going to find true rest for your soul, true rest for your body, it's going to direct you to Jesus. So when Sunday rolls around, Sunday happens to be the day, one of the days that we celebrate the Lord's Day. We also do that on Saturday. But when Sunday or Saturday rolls around and you make time to be at church, that is not work. That is a rest in Christ. You are setting aside time to be underneath the tutelage and the shepherding and the care of King Jesus. What you need to truly enjoy rest is to rest in Jesus Christ. 
Make no mistake, true rest is going to have that quality about it. It is a dependency upon God's provision by ceasing regular activities for restorative activities. I might also add there's a worship element to this as well, which I'm not talking about because I don't have enough time, but rest is, is holistic. Okay, track with me here. Rest is holistic. It is not just a one aspect. So, for instance, uh, if you get eight hours of sleep tonight, you might wake up and still feel exhausted. Why? Well, because even though you got physically eight hours of rest, maybe emotionally you're struggling because you're falling behind in school and you just can't keep up. And so you're anxious, frustrated, and worried that you're not going to pass the class and you're not going to graduate high school and you have a whole host of other issues. Oh, and I've also got this new job at Chick-fil-A that I need to go to and that's going to mean less time for me to work, uh, to do my homework. And so even though you physically rested, you have no emotional rest. You're anxious, worried, and concerned. And so you're, you're, you're physically sleeping, but you're not still rested. You are a holistic person. You are body and soul. And so for you to experience real rest, you need a body and soul rest. They have to work together, which is why you can sleep all you want and still wake up tired. There's other reasons for that too, biologically, but one of those reasons is that your soul and your body need rest. Today, in today's day and age, we kind of separate it between body, mind, soul. You know, we talk about uh, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, physical health. I'm not sure how many more categories there are, but the Bible looks at two categories, body and soul. You need both to have rest. That means every day of the week you need to set aside, or every, rather, every week you need to set aside a day of rest to allow yourself to be restored uh, in body and soul in Christ. Okay. There's rest in a nutshell. We could say so, so much more, but let me just start with that. Rest is productive. Rest prepares you for work. Laziness, on the other hand, is a pattern of procrastination and avoidance to fulfill God-given responsibilities with a quality and attitude fitting a servant of Christ. That's a mouthful. And I'm, I'm getting this definition from a lot of different Proverbs, and I'm kind of summarizing them for you. So first of all, notice that laziness is a pattern. It's a way of life. It's a way of approaching your life and your work where you constantly push things away from, uh, from, from when you should do it to another time. Okay, it's a pattern of procrastination. I know I should do it now, but I'll do it later. It's a pattern of avoidance. I know I need to do this other thing, but I was going to go this other way. And avoidance could look like this. Instead of doing what you should do, you mow the lawn. That looks like productivity, right? Like, hey, I'm, just, I'm mowing the lawn, mom and dad. I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing, right? I'm, I'm being responsible. No, we wanted you to do your college applications. See, uh, procrastination and avoidance. There, there's two things going on there. And uh, the procrastination and avoidance is toward uh, God-given responsibilities. And that could look like things like chores. That could look like homework. That could look like a part-time job that mom and dad want you to do. Uh, that could look like reading your Bible and praying. God-given responsibilities. And it is an avoidance and procrastination of doing those things with the quality and attitude of a Christian. Quality and attitude. So the right heart and the right work. The right kind or quality of work. That's a lot of information. I get that. Scripture has a lot to say about the lazy person. Um, I, I, went to, uh, I went to Kohl's this week, and when I walked in the door, I, <laughs> I passed this lady who was walking out as I was walking in. I was returning something for, for Amazon. And when I got in there, I, I have a really sensitive nose. I smell things, like, really powerfully. So if you're wearing something, I smell it. When you're not wearing something and you have B.O., I smell it. <laughs> I just smell. I have a sensitive nose. So I'm walking in, and this lady's walking out. Now, as I pass her, something offends my nostrils. 
And so then I start thinking the worst possible thing. I'm like, this, this lady, she just crop dusted me. I was, it smelled bad. And I'm thinking, man, this is late. Okay, so hey, you know, okay, she had to go. I, it could have been worse. So I just kept on walking, thinking things are going to get better. I passed the lady, but the, the smell maintained. And I thought, man, this lady was crop dusted for a long time. This is not ending. I was like, so I'm looking around, just, okay, does anyone else know? I don't want anyone to think it's me. So I'm trying to create space, like trying to walk in and, you know, get some space between me and the crop dusting. But it, the smell's not going away. I, I noticed at some point, okay, she didn't crop dust me. I'm sorry that I thought those bad thoughts about her, Lord. And, but I, I'm looking around, like, is anyone else noticing what's happened? Does anyone else smell? I have a sensitive nose, so I'm thinking maybe I'm the only one. So I make my way over to the lady at the Amazon counter, and I'm giving her my stuff. And again, I'm looking around. No one is doing anything. And I say, do, 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 you, smell, do you smell that? Is there, is there a smell in here? And she said, oh, yeah, sorry. There, there's a sewage pipe leak underneath our store. And I'm like, nah, there you go. There, that's it. The, the lady didn't crop dust. It was a sewage pipe. It smelled exactly like you think it would smell in the entire place. It was offensive. Like, yeah, sensitive schnoz. And so I had the gag, you know, one of those things. I did not gag all over her. I was thankful for that. But here, Scripture says that a lazy person has a similar effect on people. Uh, when, when, uh, it says this in Proverbs 10, 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. He is repulsive. He causes the gag reflex, uh, like vinegar on the teeth. I don't know the last time you put vinegar on your teeth, but it doesn't taste good. It's sour, and it gives you that sense of, nah, you know, that, ah, you know your face kind of goes in like this. Okay, smoke to the eyes. You know what that's like, right? You've been to a bonfire and you're behind the smoke. You got there early. You thought, I want to be near the fire. And then for whatever reason, God sends the fire smoke in your face and now you can't breathe anymore. You're dying on the floor. You fall into the fire and you die. You know what that's like, right? You know what that, so that is, <laughs> slight elaboration. You're tracking, just want to make sure. That, that's what the verse says. Like vinegar to the teeth, smoke to the eyes. Your eyes are, they start crying and you, it's, it's it's irritating to the eyes, irritating to your life. That's what the sluggard is like to those who send him. He's so untrustworthy. He's so unfaithful, so ungodly. No, he's so lazy in his, his, his work that he is offensive. Like the sewage leak at coals causes you to recoil, like smoke to the eyes, which causes you to cry. That's what laziness does to people. That's how laziness operates. Whereas the Christian is called to live in a way toward excellence. Uh, really quick, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, anything at all, work heartily. And that's where the attitude comes in, right? The attitude and quality fitting of a servant of Christ. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Your boss is not Dan Cathy if you work at Chick-fil-A. Your boss is not whoever, if you work at In-N-Out or McNutt, whoever owns those companies. Um, your boss is not those people. Your boss is not the guy with the hat that says manager. Your boss is Jesus. And so he says, because you work for Jesus, because you're working for his honor and glory, therefore your work should befit that. Your work should look like that. There's a quick definition. Laziness robs. Rest is productive. It prepares you to work. Now, you notice I didn't give you any specifics. I didn't say it looks like this many hours of sleep. I didn't say it looks like this many books you should read. I didn't say you should read this many verses. You should pray for this long. But you guys know what laziness is in an, in an intuitive sense. There's, there's a line between gaming and lazy gaming, where you're just gaming for too long and you know you spent, oh, you've wasted time doing things you should not do. There's the difference between watching a couple good shows on Hulu and binging Hulu, where you're being lazy and you're avoiding responsibilities. There's a difference between even sleeping and getting the rest that God calls you to and sleeping way too much, where you love it, you crave it, and that's all you want to do. 
there's a line. And that line is not always abundantly clear, but you know it's there. So that's the starting place. The rest is godly, and it prepares you for work, which God made you for. Laziness is ungodly, and it causes people to cry. Okay, that's where we're starting. Genesis 2.15. Let's go back there again. Let's look at this verse one more time. Uh, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, to work it and to keep it. Now imagine, uh, imagine with me, if Adam decided not to work and keep the garden, what would happen? Well, the garden would get overgrown. It would not be as beautiful or as productive as it could have been. Uh, His laziness would have actually hurt him and his soon-to-be wife because he wouldn't be providing for her the way he was supposed to. Laziness is a foe that needs to be destroyed. Otherwise, it will destroy you. I heard a story about uh, about a canine police officer in Oregon uh, last year. Uh, Over the course of two years, this officer responded to only one police call. One. Two years, he responded to one police call. Eventually, an investigative journalist started doing some digging and found out that over the course of the two years, he had stories upon stories about what he was doing, but it wasn't actually his job. In fact, for the course of the two years, he was avoiding work and he was doing who knows what he was doing. Actually, they could never corroborate his story. While he was at training, they have no record of him being at the training. Well, he was supposed to be doing, uh, he was supposed to be doing work for the police department. They have no record of what he was actually doing. So they let him go, Uh, but they covered it up. Best part of the story, his name is Officer Doolittle. (laughs) No joke. That's his real name. So over the course of two years, if he only responded to one police call, let me ask you this. How many crimes were committed that could have been prevented had he had shown up? How many people were hurt that could have been helped had he had shown up? How many bad guys could have been captured with his canine had he shown up? And we'll never know because Officer Doolittle did little to help. And that's the problem with laziness. See, laziness steals not only from you, but from others as well. Let me detail for you uh, what this actually looks like. Proverbs 18, 9 says this, Whoever is slack, lazy, lethargic in his work is a brother, a close relative to him who destroys. Brother, you're a close relative of someone who's actually destroying things by your laziness. Now, think about this with me. Uh, Adam's put in the garden to work it and to keep it. You are made to be productive. And so what laziness does for you is robs you of produce. Adam's put in the garden. God says, work it, maintain it, and bring stuff from that. You are robbed of being productive in your life in the best way possible. And this is problematic for a lot of reasons. Think about this. Produce uh, is something like recognition. Honest, Honest question. How many of you guys have ever received a participation trophy? Okay, just a few. That, that's, oof. Okay. I probably had like five of them. You can put your hand in. Participa- a participation award is garbage. <laughs> you should not be awarded for participating. What you should be awarded for is hard work. And produce that Adam would have received from the ground, you know, whatever, the flowers or the fruit or vegetables or I don't know what else they grew in the Garden of Eden, but the produce he would have received as a result of his working, that would have been a natural consequence of his hard work. For you, the produce is not fruits and vegetables. The produce is things like recognition, awards. Those aren't bad things. Those are good things. Uh, The produce is things like uh, accomplishment, getting a good job, and even getting paid. Those are the kinds of produce that you steal from yourself when you don't work hard because nobody wants to hire somebody that has a terrible work ethic. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. See, some people think that the sluggard is unmotivated. That's not true. 
The sluggard is someone who has genuine, I want to do things. I want to get things done. I crave. I want, I want to get paid. I want respect. I want to go to a nice college. I want to be thought of well. I want, I want, I want. But the problem is his craving doesn't actually cause him to do anything. The soul of the diligent, the hard worker, the one who's not going to let his emotions drive him, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So the sluggard, uh, the lazy person, steals from himself because he refuses to work. He's got the feelings, he wants to do it, but he can't because he won't. The hardworking person, in contrast to the lazy person, is recognized. Take a look at Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man or a woman skillful in his or her work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. One of the benefits of being a hard worker is that you get to have your work honored by a lot of people. And again, if we go back to this, the way I open this, AI is in your future. You are competing not only against one another, but competing against artificial intelligence. How do you distinguish yourself from artificial intelligence? Well, you do it by being an excellent and amazingly qualified worker who has expertise and wisdom and knows how to take concepts and put them together in creative and novel ways. And really, God designed you for this. Uh, the robots, the Terminator is not true. The robots don't take over and kill us all. You are better than a robot. But it's not going to come easily, and it's going to be even more difficult as we progress in 2000, well, whatever the next year is, 22, 23. It's 21 right now, right? 22. I can count. If you let laziness creep in on you, young person, laziness will rob you. I, I honestly, let me, can I share something with you from my heart to, to yours? Okay, this is not in my, my notes, but I'm just going to say. I shudder. I get chills down my spine when I talk to you guys, and I mean, I don't, I don't show it on my face. I, I try to be chill about it and be like, oh, that's interesting. When you tell me how much time you spend in games or in other things that are fine, like amoral, they're not bad or good, but when you tell me how much time you spend on those things, I'm like, man, what a waste of, what a waste of time and energy, you don't want a waste of your potential that God has deployed in your particular time of life. You have energy. You have the ability to learn quickly and, and relatively easily. It's a challenge in different ways, I know, but you have so much of a gift right now that God has given you where you can exercise yourself in ways and prepare yourself to be amazingly talented, gifted, productive in your life. So again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying Hulu's bad, Netflix is bad, games are bad, Discord or whatever else you're on. I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying you have to discern in your mind, am I avoiding and procrastinating with when I use these things, or am I being a responsible citizen of the kingdom and resting in productive ways that prepare me for work? Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. If Adam didn't harvest the fruits and veggies, I imagine they would have stayed there, and they would have stayed untapped. So I already said this, but you robbed yourself of realized potential when you let laziness creep into your life. Adam could have left the wood in the garden and not made it home. He could have left the flowers in the garden and not made tea. I don't know if he did these things, but simple, uh, a simple jump to that conclusion. Realized potential. I kind of already started talking about this, but let me, let me put it like this, like this. Some of you guys have incredible minds. You're sharp. Um, sometimes I talk to you guys and I'm like, wow, you really, really, really smart. <laughs> I'm a little intimidated. And I think, what an incredible gift God has given you. You have the potential 
to do incredible good with your mind. What a waste it would be for you to give the bulk of your mental attention to lesser subjects. Again, not amoral, not bad necessarily, but you get a choice to make. Some of you guys are incredibly physically gifted. You have a natural athletic ability that could put you on a national stage. There's a whole host of dangers with that, but man, use the body God has given you to glorify King Jesus. Be the next Tim Tebow or... I don't know, is Steph Curry a Christian? I, think, I hear he's a Be the next Steph Curry. Be the next whoever for the glory of God while keeping your testimony intact, while prioritizing the life of the church. I mean, whatever God has given you, whether it's a stellar mind or a great athletic ability, whatever it is, let God use that in your life to realize the most potential possible. Let me ask you an honest question. What is your ceiling? Like, what's your highest level of accomplishment possible? Think about that. What is the highest level of accomplishment possible in your life? You don't, I don't know. I have no idea. And neither do you. And so the worst thing you could possibly do is shortchange yourself by not giving your very best to whatever God gives you to do. Robs you of realized potential. In all toil, there is profit. Hard work, there's profit. But mere talk, the lazy guy, only goes to poverty. Talk's a big game has a lot of dreams and ambitions, but that's all it is. It's talk. It's hot air. I like this quote. I don't know who said it first, but they said this, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Now, that was cute. There's a couple people that that's attributed to you, but I really, really, that is it. A lot of you guys are talented. You have natural inborn abilities that God has deposited in you, but if you don't let that talent blossom into something that comes from hard work, it doesn't really make a lot of difference. You get robbed of potential. Back to our verse. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. If Adam didn't work that garden, he would have nothing to give to Eve, who, he, who God was just about to create to be a helper to him. When we let laziness rule us, we rob others of our contribution to their flourishing. You were put on this planet, A, to work, and B, to let that work be a service to other people to love other people by the way that you work. Can I, can I be honest with you for a second here? If I were to take shortcuts in my job, most of you probably wouldn't notice a lot. God gave me a mouth. He gave me the ability to put words together that most, most of the time makes sense. And so you may not notice a, a big difference, at least not immediately. But I can promise you this. If I stopped working hard in my sermon prep for you, in six months, you would notice you begin to notice a subtle decrease in the quality. You begin to notice a decrease in the quality of illustrations and the quality of application. You would notice a decrease in my ability to serve you well. And what a tragedy that would be because your spiritual lives are dependent upon me having a faithful spiritual life. And that's an easy illustration. If you're a Chick-fil-A employee, uh, it's, it's like, oh, how does this actually contribute to the world and flourish? Like, that makes a difference too. That has uh, an impact on people because you are serving, you're fulfilling a real need. You're meeting their physical need to actually have their, their, their hunger satisfied. But laziness, if we let laziness creep in, I mean, it's easy, right? If you let laziness creep in, uh, shortcuts cause fa fatal bridge collapse. No one's surprised by that, right? The, the guys who are building the bridge, the engineers who drew the bridge, uh, the guys who actually put it together, if you're taking shortcuts, no one's going to be surprised if the bridge falls down and kills people. And in fact, I don't know if you knew this, but the Boeing 787 Max, or 737, 737 Max, uh, this guy, he says here, it's hard to read the subtext there, design shortcuts 
meant to make a new plane seem like an old, familiar one are to blame. And so this engineer, this pilot slash computer scientist says, look, one of the reasons the, seven, the Boeing 737 MAX crashed is because the engineers at Boeing knew it would be too expensive to make a new airplane, so they tried to make an old one feel, uh, an old one feel new by taking some shortcuts in the wing design and the thrust. And so with all of those things put together, they created a plane that was eventually going to crash because the pilots wouldn't operate it correctly. Laziness has consequences. And whenever we take those shortcuts, we end up stealing from other people because of those very things. In fact, Scripture says this, look. um, Scripture talks about a man who lets his vineyard get overgrown with nettles and weeds, and that's the lazy person. You guys, you guys remember that, that, that section there in Proverbs 24? The lazy guy whose his wall is broken down and his vineyard is just it's growing weeds and it's not producing what it should produce. Well, let me point you to a text here. Leviticus chapter 19. Here's what 19 says. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Look at this. God says, when you take care of your vineyard, when you're working, I also want you to work in such a way where you're leaving some left over for the poor. For those who don't have money, don't have vineyards, don't have the ability, the poor are going to work that field and glean for themselves. There you go, the dignity of work right there. The poor are working to feed themselves, which is a great thing. But notice he says, look, for you guys who own the vineyard, for you people who who have harvest, don't glean the whole thing leave a little bit on the corner for the poor and the sojourner, the one who doesn't have the money and the one who's visiting your area. Leave enough for them to do that. And then he says in verse 11, you shall not steal, which suggests to me that when God gave this information to Israel, he was essentially saying, look, I want you to save some of your money. I want you to save some of your hard work and give it or save some of your field and give it to the poor and the sojourner. And to not do that would be effectively stealing because I'm the Lord your God and I'm telling you how to run your society. When you fail to work hard, when you fail to protect your garden and protect your field and protect your vineyard, that means you don't have anything to give to anybody else. In Proverbs 24, where the fool and the sluggard doesn't have a vineyard because he hasn't protected it, he hasn't harvested it, he has nothing to give to the poor or the sojourner. And therefore, he can't contribute to the flourishing of that community. He can't serve the poor. He can't serve the stranger. How you do, and I love this saying. This isn't me. I don't know who said this first. How you do anything is how you do everything. Which is essentially to say, look, if you are lazy in some parts of your life thinking, oh, it's not going to matter. I'll just, I'll work hard over here, but be lazy over there. That's not how it works, guys. God wants us to work hard so that we're able to give to others, so that we're able to serve people, so that we're able to be um, useful to people around us. Went to Chick-fil-A this week and saw a familiar face. In fact, I went in with my family, minus Jacob. So it's a lot of people. It's like five of us without him. How many? Oh. It's four kids, right, babe? Yes. So there's five of us plus a friend. So we were a rowdy bunch. Walk in there, and then Chris is like, oh, I think that's Morgan Heron goes over there. And I'm like, oh, is that Morgan? You know, I'm, I'm not quiet. And I just, I'm saying, is that Morgan? Like, yeah, it is Morgan. But even as we kept on calling her name over and over again and saying, yeah, that's Morgan here in Gozo and Morgan over there. Like we just kept on saying stuff and she was just like locked in on this computer, just like putting stuff in bags or just like a machine, organizing it. And I mean, 
the focus was impressive. I was tempted to throw something at her just to see if she would flinch. She was so locked in. I was just like, man, she is crushing it. And how crazy would it be like, oh, she's just, you know, serving. She's just filling a bag with food. It's not just. God is pleased with us when we labor hard to serve others well. It's, it's silly, but I also noticed that when I go to Chick-fil-A, my bag is always neatly organized. I don't know why I'm, I'm bragging on Chick-fil-A tonight. They're just, they're just really good at this. My bag is always neatly organized. I do wish you would put more fries in my, my thing because it kind of sometimes feels like it's half full. But for the most part, it's pretty good. The bag is neatly organized, and I'm like, man, it's crisp. The folds are nice. It's just like they, they go the extra step to do something so small that just makes a difference. Like, I notice those things. God wants you to work hard. And laziness will steal from you and from other people when you don't give it the kind of attention it deserves. Pastor John, not Pastor, Puritan John Owen said this, Uh, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I think he would probably say this too, be killing laziness or it will be killing you. Laziness is a foe and needs to be destroyed. You need to work against it. Otherwise, it will steal from you and the people around you that you love. Genesis 2.15. Let's close this bad boy up here. Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. Now notice I switched the highlight this time. It is God who took Adam and put him there. It was not the devil. The devil's like, hey, I'm going to make him work now. He's going to love it. He's going to hate. No, God puts Adam in the garden to work. It is God's doing. God made you to work. God made you to sweat and to exercise yourself in difficult ways. God made you to be frustrated, not frustrated, but to, to give yourself fully to learning chemistry and bio and A push or whatever else you're doing. God made you to learn and to exercise your mind. God made you to run. When you're doing cross country or when you're doing volleyball or club this or that, God made you to move your body and to sweat profusely. I mean, honestly, how many of you will admit, admit after a good sweat, that feels good. Like, you just, yeah, I sweat. I smell horrible, but I feel great that I sweated so profusely. That's a good feeling. I don't know if the ladies would agree, but I think most of the guys would agree. That's a good thing. It's because you're made to work. God designed you to work. Therefore, point number three, you should take pleasure in hard work. Take pleasure in it, young person. Man, what, a, what an amazing thing that would be. You would set yourself apart so much if you would say, you know what, I love hard work because I'm honoring God with my hard work. Let me tell you the opposite message that people are giving you today. One of the lies that you're told. You ready for this? Let me quote a couple people. Steve Jobs, at one of his commencement ceremonies, said this, have the courage to follow your heart. Follow your passion. He said this on a different occasion, the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it, keep looking. Don't settle. He's not alone in that sentiment. Oprah Winfrey also said, follow your passion. It will lead you to your purpose. And she's not alone in this either. Uh, Some guy named Tony Bennett said this, if you follow your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Sorry. Elizabeth Taylor said, follow your passions, follow your heart, and the things you need will come. I imagine that's how she said it. Let me give you a better, a, a better model to follow, because honestly, that is terrible advice. 
if you run around your life trying to say, where's my passion, where's my passion, how do I follow my passion and follow my heart, you're going to be looking a long time. Because honestly, young person, your passions will expand and contract. You'll have new passions and lesser passions. You'll have great days and you'll have less great days. Hey, let me give you some better advice. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whether you flip burgers or whether you pick up dog poo or whether you babysit or whether you do chemistry homework or whether you're doing English lit, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's a far better, a far better mantra to live by. And that means that we work hard and we do things that aren't necessarily fun. We do things that are going to challenge us and make it difficult for us. Let me give you three quick observations from our text again, from Genesis 2.15 here. The Lord God put the man in the garden, right? It is God who put him there. Therefore, we should take pleasure in hard work because there's dignity. There's dignity in all honest work. Dignity as in there's respect, there's honor, there's, uh, there's, there's something good, inherently good about all honest work. Now, pop quiz. What jobs did the animals have in the garden? If you're, if you're questioning, oh, well, I don't recall reading God giving the animals a job, and you'd be right. God did not give animals a job. Their job was just to reproduce, they're to multiply. That's not a job, that's a commission. God looked at Adam and Eve and said, I'm giving you a commission to take dominion over the world, do hard things in my name, and as my representatives. Work has dignity because we work like God works, and he gave us a job to do that honors him. I want you to work on my behalf, essentially, is what God says. We are uniquely qualified to imitate God because we are his image bearers. We work because he works, and that means work is good. Proverbs 10, 5. He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps and harvests is a son who brings shame, shame, shame. The word uh, means like, oh, that's, there's awfulness there. There's a sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm ashamed to know you. You make me want to cover my face. But well, that tells us then that the, the hardworking son, the one who gathers in the summer, brings honor. He brings honor to the family name. As a Christian, you bring honor to the family name when you say, look, I'm going to work diligently to honor the Lord with my work. I took an Uber one time, and it was the first time I'd ever taken an Uber, actually. And it was a five-minute ride from my house to the mechanic shop that I was leaving from. The guy came in, and um, I got in the car. And when I got in, I, I was, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was surprised by what I saw. Because when I looked inside, there was water bottles, and there were snacks, and there was a car ch the charger that kind of went to the back seat that I could plug my phone into. Like, the whole thing was fully stocked. It, it looked a little bit like this. But as I sat there, you know, he kind of, he's like, Dude, would, you, would you like something different on the radio? Would you like me to put on a, a song station? That, I was like, oh, wow, I feel like royalty right now. This is so nice. I was, I was, I was enjoying my five-minute ride back home. It was really impressive and inspiring. I remember that ride because he made it so memorable. And I thought, see, that's amazing. It's a menial job that no one's going to look at like, that's an incredible job. That's the most important job in the world. No one's going to say that. But he took pride in his job. He saw that it was a good job, it was a respectable position, and so he worked really hard to get that five-star rating, which I gave him four. So it was a really good, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I gave him five, I gave him five, I gave him five. It was a great experience. He took pride in his work, and I thought that was a beautiful thing. There are other people in your life that do menial, low-bar kind of jobs. Like, you guys have seen this guy in your neighborhood, right? Probably all the time. 
In fact, I talked about you guys mowing the lawn. I don't know the last time any of you, have, I've never mowed a lawn in my entire life. I know, sorry. Okay, when I was a boy, though, we didn't have a lawn, so there was that. And now that we have one, it's... Anyway, that's not the point. A lot of people, when you see the people like this who serve you, it's really easy to just walk past them and pretend they're not there, right? Oh, you're doing the thing, I'm going over here. And they don't go out of their way to be like, hey, say hi to me, I'm a person. But we should, because work is dignifying. And honest work is something God esteems and respects. And so should we. So I don't know, I'm guessing most of you guys aren't going try to try to be this person in your life. You're not going to start a gardening service and be that guy who's mowing people's lawns. Maybe you would, and that's fine. But at the very least, you should respect and esteem workers. You should respect and esteem work, because all honest work is good. And God gives it dignity and honor that you should, rep- you should recognize. So if you clean toilets, young person, hey, good for you. Don't be ashamed of that. If you have to dress up like the cow at Chick-fil-A, hey, you'd be the best cow you can possibly be. You take privilege. You take honor in that. Like, yeah, I am the Chick-fil-A cow, and I'm amazing at it. <laughs> you could be great. There is dignity in all honest work. Another observation here. The Lord God took him and put him in the garden which means, I'm guessing, if Adam would have done a good job, a better job, or a best job, God would be pleased by that. So we should also recognize there is glory in all excellent work. When we work with excellence, we reflect God's glory. We are image bearers who are meant to mimic his working in the world. Think about this. What's something that you've eaten recently that caused you to say, wow, that's amazing? Costco pizza, Chick-fil-A. A A raising, no. Whatever it is, when you taste that, you're tasting the excellence of the chef to make you that thing. And you're celebrating, oh, this is amazing, I love this, this is so delicious. I I had a crumble cookie on Monday. It was a, actually, no, I'm mad at crumble because they didn't hire somebody that I know. So I'm not friends with them anymore. Last cookie I ever bought. Anyway, it was a a pumpkin cake cookie. It, had, it was a really thick, fluffy cookie, and it had this large dollop of sweet cream cheese on top of it. You bite into it, the flavor explodes in your mouth with joy and unicorns and rainbows. It was amazing, amazing experience. And I thought someone's excellence to create the recipe, and even I watched the girl put it in the, in the box, because I got a box of four, you never have just one. I saw the girl put it in there, and she was sprinkling the little things on top, like just like a fairy, just... But she was taking care to do, to make my cookies excellent. I respected that because that adds to my enjoyment of the cookie, does it? Does it not? I mean, when it's beautiful and it tastes good, doesn't it make it all the better? Young person, this is from God. God made the world like that. God is generous and richly kind toward all of us. He doesn't just make us water and say, hey, drink the water and you're going to live on only water. No, we have amazing things like coffee and soda, and all these awesome bang energy drinks. These are a gift of God. God doesn't just say, hey, you need food to survive. Here's a piece of stale bread. Eat that and live. No, he's like, here's, here's turkey, and ham, and stuffing, and cheesy potatoes, and macaroni, and cheese. I mean, all of these good things God gave you. God is generous, and he's excellent. Let the same be true of you in your work ethic. Dignity in all honest work. Glory in all excellent work. Be really good at what you do, young person. 
for the glory of God. Last, let me just say this. There is purpose in all ordinary work. Kind of danced around it all night tonight, but let's say God gives you the opportunity to, to be a street sweeper or a, a diaper changer or a dog poop collector. Whatever it is God gives you, recognize that there is dignity in all honest work, glory in all excellent work, and there's purpose. God is glorifying himself through your service. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if you are a street sweeper, I like what one guy said about this. He says, look, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music or as Shakespeare wrote poetry, which is to say excellence, highest degree possible. He should sweep streets so that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. I'll close with this quote by the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. He said, he said this. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. And with that, let me encourage you to fight laziness, work hard for the glory of God. Let's pray.